Hi guys, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today, I've got Mary Buffington with me, another interview. Yes, because Mary and I share a passion for burning the candles on both ends. At least we did in the past until we learned the hard way that really doesn't work so well. So today we're going to talk burnout and we go a little bit beyond the, oh, it's all your fault. You should take care of yourself, you know. Yes, we'll talk about that. But there are many, many more things that we actually can talk about when it comes to burnout. And I'm so, so pleased that I've got Mary Buffington with me today. Hi, Mary. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Oh, very, very well. Uh, I say that nowadays, there were times when on a Sunday I would have cuddled into the bed and just closed my eyes um, and didn't want to see the world because it was just, uh, I was burned out, absolutely. And, and when we say burned out, that is a, a weird thing. So Mary, first of all, thank you so much for coming on. I think, I guess we need to, to start with actually defining what the hell is burned out? It's such a cliche word, isn't it? Yeah. So that's so, yeah, let's start with the definition because honestly, burnout is not a new phenomenon. Hmm. We first, there's first, the first statement that it was first seen was actually the 1970s with a um, clinic in New York City where these nurses and these physicians were taking care of patients who were um, using drugs. And it was sort of one of those clinics to detox. And the nurses were getting burned down, the staff were. And it basically, they lost their passion for what they were doing. They were mentally exhausted. They really, um, and it, this, I don't know, I guess the best word is like jaded in a way about the healthcare system, mm. what they're doing. And so the psychologist that was observing this is like, there was a term, I guess that was a drug term revert um, called burnout when basically you've used so much drugs at a point you sort of burn yourself out on them. <laughs> and so he sort of used that term for burnout. And it's really since that time period has really taken off. And last year, in 2019, the World Health Organization actually expanded the definition. And while it's considered to be a workplace phenomenon, we definitely see it in other areas and places in people's life. We see it with new moms. We see it with parents that are running around crazy right now. Um, I think we're also seeing some of it with the COVID pandemic, at least in the United States. I have not been to other areas of the world where it's just like, you're so mentally exhausted and you've been trying so hard to be in, you know, taking care of yourself and doing all that stuff. But sometimes it's just not enough. And you get to the point that you drain your cup. So good. And I loved the very first sentence that you said, you lose your empathy, you lose, you don't care anymore about yeah. what's going on. You want to be the the really loving mum, but God forbid, just one more scream of the baby and you just want to, oh. And it is that kind of losing your passion is for mm -hmm. me the, the hallmark, the key to it. When I get annoyed about a patient, the very first thing I ask, hang on, why am I getting annoyed? Oh, he is an asshole. Okay, that's cool. That's fair call. There are personality disorders and there are some really 
evil people out there. That's cool. Oh, yeah, that's him. Or is it actually me? Because I, you know, I have come to a point where I just did too much. So very, very, very good start and very good definition. Thank you. My, but uh, when you went into nursing, I imagine that you didn't hook on to the a, psychology of, of burnout. Yay, that's really what I want to do. <laughs> what, oh kind of, what kind of nursing did you do? Well, I have been an oncology nurse for most of my career. I did start out doing children's psych for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I love doing that part of working with children and sort of helping them with some coping skills. But oncology is where I really found my passion and love. I work with people right now that have um, complex gastrointestinal cancers like pancreatic cancer, esophageal, um, and stage four colon cancers. And I also work with lung cancers. So these patients a lot of time have really heavy um, care routines that they have to participate in. And they have this whole entire diagnosis that's over their head as well. Um, so they're, they can be very heavy patients to take care of because they, I, I am in a um, non-socialized system. So finding resources for them, um, overcoming some of the barriers and challenges, it can be really hard on nurses that are in that role because we want to give our best. We want to do our best for these patients. And sometimes we, we are limited in what we can do. It's interesting. So if I understand you right, in the United States, nursing staff is as much a social worker as, mm -hmm. as you are essentially looking after the, the physical needs of a patient. Yes, there's a role that we have in the United States that's starting to take traction, which is called nurse navigation, where we sort of function as an advocate for the patients since yeah. the reality of our system, there's not really anyone to guide you through and make sure stuff happens. And if you are not healthcare savvy or have an education level or exposure, it's completely foreign. And these can be some really brilliant people that I'm working with. I've worked with people that have been scientists, that have been um, lawyers, very high profile physicians, but cancer is a whole entire different bucket for them. So there's a level of, it requires me to have a lot of compassion for these people. And even though it's my day-to-day -day, for them, it's not their day-to-day. -day. So for me, managing my burnout is so key for showing up as someone that's ready to sh take care of these people and not just be like, oh yeah, you're just, you know, like a person in line, which happens a lot in burnout. And that's of course, the, not just for you in this very high demanding position when it comes to, to end stage cancers, to a certain degree palliative care at times when there is no more cure inside, when it is more about looking after end-of-life issues and that in its own right is is a very demanding and all-encompassing and often soul-destroying work if you do not have the awareness that you're alluding to because I certainly have, have, have had similar roles and I've invested all of me and then some to my own detriment so I was always there for everyone else, everyone else, but certainly not for me. And the word self-care, yeah, there was sort of a wishy-washy abstract term that you sort of say, and it sounds good, but I was doing anything else than 
<laughs> so, and I think that's most of us. Most of us in 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 any kind of emergency setting, let it be police, let it be ambulance, fire, uh, nursing, various uh, healthcare technicians. We are all there because we want to serve others, and we want to. We are we are perfectionists. Type A personalities often who are out there to just yes. Yeah. And, and you don't want, and you really don't want less than a type A personality taking care of you. You know, I want someone that's, you know, wanting to make sure things are good. And that um, I'm it's like, like, well, you know, I sort of made that sterile. That's good enough. I want no, someone. That's not. Exactly. Being in that perfectionist mindset, there yeah. are times where it's okay to be a B plus student. Okay. In healthcare, there are times where it's okay to be like, you know what, I did my best. And as opposed to starting to beat yourself up, hmm. which is that thing that happens for our perfectionist personalities, where we, if we don't achieve that perfection level, we will start making it to mean that we're less than, that we're not good enough and use it as, I don't know, like um, self-flagellation at night. Like, oh, I didn't do well by that patient. Whip, whip, whip. We're just beating ourselves up. Hmm. versus actually realizing that we're still humans at the end of the day and we deserve our own self-forgiveness and self-love and self-compassion. So true. So true. Just as much as the patient deserves the the dignity and the respect we do too. Yes. And it is, it is sometimes quite important to actually make that clear to your own to yourself. Um, as an example, I am I'm an anesthetist, so I anesthetize Monday to Thursday, and Friday I've got a clinic where I see all the patients for the next week or two. And these clinics are often brutal and uh, tightly booked because we do a lot of work, which is nice, And but I want to be there for these patients. And it's not uncommon at all that I don't even get time to pee or don't even look after the very, very, very basics of my own needs, because we're also focused on the patient and, oh my God, he's been waiting 10 minutes. Oh my God. Now, and nowadays I, I actually say, hang on. If my body is in a fight and flight scenario because my bladder is full and there's this adrenaline kicking, oh my God, why can't I go to the toilet kind of, a, and that is all happening in the reptilian brain. You're actually not really aware of that. Um, so it is, it is quite a weird one. Um, if you have that as the underlying thing and you haven't drunk anything and you haven't eaten anything and you haven't done all the things that, that you really need to do as your basics, you're already on the back foot. And then bring on someone who falls to pieces because this person is someone who had a fresh cancer diagnosis, is someone who was running around like mad, being mummy, being all the other roles that you want to be in your life. And then suddenly you get a big C word coming along. And yeah. wow. So there you are. I want to do the right thing for this patient. I want to I hug this patient and, and say, look, it's going to be all all right. My focus is all there. Yet here I am. This is, you know, the, the, the dehydration, the, the full bladder, everything kicks in because we are just so focused on everyone else. 
Does that yeah. ring a bell? Does that <laughs> were there shifts where you well, basically <laughs> not even thought about food? So this, when I work with my clients on inner resiliency, a lot of what we talk about is a first step of being self-preservation. Or if you think about Maslow hierarchies of needs, it's sort of your basic fundamental needs and your safety. Hmm. These are things we need. And our brain, our reptilian brain, focused on, you know, when we look at what, when we have our sensory intake, because that's how our brain sort of is like, our reptile brain sort of decides if things are safe or not safe. And then if things are safe, we go into that parasympathetic state of relaxing, being zen, versus if we go into the sympathetic state, where it's basically like, we got to survive this, okay? And so these things, we will put them on the back burner, like our basic fundamental needs. If Like bathroom, that's a big one, water and that sort of stuff, because it's sort of, we're in that place of just trying to survive. And so the thing true. is, we treat, we'll treat like a room full of patients like they are, like our brain looks at that and use it as the same risk as having a lion sitting in your waiting room. That are contributing to burnout. And there is only so much self-care you can do. Mm -hmm. And still, life throws you punches left, right, and center. So what was your experience? May, may I draw on your experience, on your past? What were the factors that brought you to a point that you suddenly are getting interested in burnout? Certainly. So back in 2014, I was working in a high volume oncology clinic and there was a lot of times where I didn't get my lunch break. I did not get my, um, I would get interrupted if I had lunch and so they'd be like, Hey, your chemo is ready. You need to go hang in. I would, um, often end up working overtime frequently because there were add-ons at the end of the day. And there was a dynamic between management and the physicians where they didn't really sort of try to sort of tighten things up so that way to make sure that staff were not put in situations where they were getting really burned out because of things being added on at the end of the day. It got, I was doing that. I was commuting about two hours to work every day. I spent actually about three hours in the car, depending on the Bay Area traffic. It was pretty rough. And I was just burning that candle on both ends. And it got to the point where I was no longer in this place of joy or happiness. I hated going to work. I didn't care about my patients. I was very good about giving chemo safely in a way that um, everyone did okay with it. But I was at the point that I didn't, I wanted to be anywhere but there. I was going online, looking at jobs, doing all that stuff. And finally, I made the decision that I need to leave there or else I was going to be completely just, I'm going to end up in a, you know, in a psych ward from a mental breakdown. So I started working three per diem jobs. Um, so that way I could afford my health insurance, afford, you know, my cost of living where I was. And even though I was out of that environment, I continued to struggle with burnout and I was doing so many things to try to feel better. All the self-care, like I spent tens of thousands of dollars going on trips, like to feel better. I would go like get cocktails after work. I got an emotional support dog. I literally did everything. I went to hypnosis, got acupuncture, got massages. And at the end of the day, I would lay in bed and just feel like there's a screaming in my head being like, you need to run away. You're not where you're supposed to be. You're going to die and not have served any purpose. Mm -hmm. 
So I have to tell you, like I was doing all the self-care that they have recommended bubble baths. Even I didn't, I mean, like it was ridiculous. I did different diets, literally everything that you're supposed to do for self-care. And at the end of the day, it didn't make a difference in my burnout. Like I was still struggling at work. Uh And the reason why is because I, there, I basically, when I work with my clients, I explain there's four different areas of burn of basically managing burnout and building resiliency, self-preservation, self-care, self-love and purpose. And I didn't really have a purpose anymore. I didn't like what I was doing. I wanted to do anything else. I was seriously thinking maybe it could be a dominatrix <laughs> or maybe I could just go become an IT person. I'm in the Bay Area. I'm sure your nursing to- counselor had something to say about the dominatrix. I'm not sure that that goes as a CME or so. It probably doesn't, but it was at that point where it's just like, I don't like healthcare anymore. I want it to be out completely. Mm. And I share this because I cannot tell you how many times coworkers of mine have seriously thought about being a stripper or something versus coming in another day at work. If you've never heard that joke, you've not been around a bunch of female nurses. But my, if you don't have a sense of purpose and what you're doing, if you've lost that, and you're beating yourself up every night, calling yourself an idiot for not make for staying in a job too long or not doing something else. Mm-hmm. Like that is a hard way to live. Mm-hmm. And if you're basically doing that, you're going to keep looking for ways to beat yourself up. Keep looking for ways you don't have a purpose. Mm-hmm. And that's so hard, isn't it? And you come to a point where if people were to ask you, who are you? Oh, I'm I'm an oncology nurse and I'm really, really good in it. No, yeah. no, that's not what I asked. No, no, who are you? What do you mean? Yeah. And it is so bizarre. I was that. I was that. Yeah. I was burned out to the nth degree because I put so much, I worked so long hours, so much emotions went into my job. And ultimately, when enough was enough and I went into rehab and got my act together with the alcohol. Thereafter, I really struggled to say who I was. I could Mm -hmm. not define myself apart Mm -hmm. from the doctor who gives everything kind of a thing. And it it was a lot of soul searching and it was one or two years of me starting to build up a new me and learning to love that combination of the old me and new me and to find a purpose in my life. And, but that was a slow journey. And I remember the emptiness, the hollowness, the, the lack of purpose. So your, your words very much resonate with me. They describe me to a T. Yeah, and I don't believe the reason, now some people like to sort of put your purpose and self-care together, but I don't like to do that because my purpose and my self-preservation shouldn't be things that I'm doing to make myself feel better. They're not the same thing. And we shouldn't treat them like the same thing. I'm sorry, but going to the bathroom is not the same as making sure that I like getting to sleep in on a Saturday so or true. going or writing poetry they're very different things so true so true and nowadays i allow that 
and I say, well, this patient had to wait now 20 minutes. I'm sorry, he will wait 22 minutes now because I will empty my bladder. And it's yeah. as simple as that. But I have to give myself permission. The old me is still ingrained in there to be, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, hectic, hectic, hectic. And nowadays I say, stop, pause, but click. Okay, I have now a toilet. And if you actually measure it, it's 90 seconds, two minutes. Um, you know, hey, wash your hands. And maybe if you're doing like a little bit more than peeing, mm. you know, it's going to take a little bit longer. Yeah. At the same time, if you have to use the bathroom when you're with a patient, <laughs> you're not going to pay attention to the patient. You're going to be like, oh my gosh, can we wrap this up? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly exactly so it's so bizarre isn't it <laughs> but it's good that we spell it out out there um yeah. that but we are still with the, the the basic needs and the self-care um but we have now sort of expanded a little bit on um on the on the on some of the other issues but you were mentioning it yourself you worked in a system where the system in itself was not really aware of the pressures they put on on the individuals actually the cynical me says they are very much aware but they just don't care because money is the bottom line and in order to give you that breathing room they need to employ another nurse and sorry that's against the bottom line so i think there is there's probably something to say to be said about that certainly in the american system certainly in the private system here in which i work it is uh, it is hard and and equally in the in the public system i shouldn't i shouldn't focus on on yeah. one system here because money makes the world go around and right now in in new zealand there's not that much money there um so yeah. it is we are there are restraints on every system Therefore, it is so important to work within that system, but highlight the stresses. And how did you go about that? I mean, you were working in a system that was that was harsh. You could have chosen to run away. As you said, become a dominatrix. Good on you. Um, <laughs> But honestly, but uh, these whips—they cost money. So now you're running from <laughs> from the from the frying pan into the fire now. Nah. Yeah. So. Well, it's so good that you're bringing this up because I think that there's a level of the different systems. We always think the grass is greener on the other side, and and I will tell you, in America, we're like we want something socialized. We want this. We so that way we, you know, things will be better and more controlled, but if you read about the nurses in NHS in the UK, they're struggling just as much as burnout. Burnout really is a global phenomenon in healthcare. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that the nurses and the physicians that are treating the front lines, on the front lines, are those canaries in the coal mine. Like we're no longer really, we're no longer as effective, if you will, mm -hmm. because we're basically so drained. When you are a physician or a nurse or in any of the help, any of the arts, uh, the medical arts, you are a healer. Like you didn't go into it just so that way you could make money. You went into it be or you went into it because it was a love of helping people. And right now there has been, even since I've been a nurse, I've, be, I've been a nurse since 2006, a lot of things have shifted in what we do and how we do things. There's more focus on standardization in a way that 
we don't allow people to sort of be the healers that they're really good at being. Even though I do believe standardization helps with patient safety, there's also an aspect of we are still in working with humans and they need that human touch. And they need more than just, here's your pill, go and have a good life from us. <laughs> so true, so true. <laughs> Fr Friday clinic, uh, this, this, this young woman coming in uh, for an, an orthopedic <laughs> operation and she was a little bit guarded to me and I sort of just talked normal to her, maybe, maybe the way we talk here right now. And over 10 minutes, she suddenly started relaxing. And, and at the end, when our consult was over, she sort of went up and looked at me and sort of said, wow, I'm, I'm so pleased you, you, you treated me like a human and you showed me that you're a human too. These were her words. And it, 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 and it was said in such a way that she, didn't have ex she had not expected that from the healthcare system. She expected, yeah, 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 who are you? Oh, oh yeah. Uh, no, and it was, it was so beautiful. But the sheer fact that she had to say that meant that she had many other experiences beforehand, which obviously went down a different route, where people looked down upon her anxiety and down upon her, her emotions in relation to the multiple surgeries that she's undergoing, all these kind of things. So yes, you're right. And I was, I was in a good place. I had taken care of myself. I had shown myself the respect and the dignity that I deserved. And therefore I was able to manage her and help her with the love that she deserved. And that's beautiful. That was that was a time when I can be proud of myself. There were many times when I would have just said, "Yeah, right." I spent twice as much time with you. The next guy's already waiting, and is and I'm waiting. <laughs> so this is the good side, how it should be. The bad side, how it often is. The systems yeah. we can't do much about, and the other side is not always greener. So. What the hell can we do? Right. There's three realms of control that we need to look at. Cool. We first off have one of the largest, we have the government system that we're under. Since we're most of most countries are held to government regulations in some form or shape. Hmm. And there is in the United States and a couple of the states, they actually have safe staffing ratios hmm. that you are mandated ratios that it needs to be one to, I believe, five or one to six. And so that's one example of it. Then we have the organization itself that the person is working in. What are they doing? Are they basically making it where that where it's okay to sort of talk about burnout? Is it okay to sort of talk about, you know what? I need a mental health day. You know, I have a lot going on in my personal life. Do they have create space for people to really be safe at work? Brene Brown, um, in her book Dare to Lead, there's one ask, there's one quote that has always stuck with me. If you've not read anything Brene Brown, I believe everybody should. But it's that we should not, we should make the workplace not a place where people need to come and wear their armor, because we don't know where they have to wear armor in the rest of their lives when they go home. It shouldn't be a place where you have to protect yourself and wear like, you know, come in with metal to 
to make sure that you are safe to work and that you're, um, you can talk to your manager about your needs. We need that sort of environment. And that's actually a piece that I think we really miss where people are put into management positions, but not necessarily set up to be really good managers. And they do so much damage and it's, they get burnt out, their staff gets burnt out, but that's an organizational piece. <laughs> and then before I continue, before sorry, I... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm chuckling here. If you're listening to the podcast, I'm just quietly laughing away because I, through my mind, there's this kind of, of constant stream of pictures going through where one manager after the other appears. And I I, I just want to, yeah, run a mile. I have done research on burnout. I've looked at the evidence of burnout. That's been a part of what I've done with my business. So it could be the most effective. And I have not seen studies that actually have shown um, a, a correlation between manager burnout and staff burnout, but I believe there is something there that we need to start looking at a little bit more, um, more under the scope, if you will, because Leadership is one of the big reasons people leave their leave because of burnout. There's a big correlation. Like if they don't feel like they can move up, if they don't feel like their manager is helping them or being a good manager, they will get burned out and they will leave. So there is something there. I have not seen, I would love to do a study and sort of see if there's a correlation. One day I'll find an organization that will let me do it, but we're not there yet. But anyway, I digress. I no, 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 this is not digressing. This is not digressing. Uh, my book, My Steps to Sobriety, in there I talk about toxic relationships, which typically yeah. refers to the, the issue of, of your loved ones and, and more intimate relationships. But the same toxic relationships also apply to work. And there is actually uh, an issue or a, a chapter on burnout in there. And there's a chapter exactly about these kind of things in there. And it's the problem because there are difficult people out there. There are real assholes out there. End of the story. And guess what? Some of them migrate into management positions. So you have got a real issue. And you can't just say, oh, this is, oh, yeah, well. Um, hmm. And a study, to do that study, no institution will let you do that. Because with that, they suddenly have to look at bullying. They suddenly have to look at mismanagement by a superior person. And no one, you know, that is that is the same like whistleblowing. You do it once and then you're invited to leave. I want to share something with you because this was something that's really changed my life big time. Is dropping this idea of the being a victim to people mm. I work with. And here I'll tell you why with it because I have you know have had really challenging relationships a part of my big burnout was I didn't have good relationships with my manager and so I was very frustrated I felt really stuck with that manager I felt like he didn't listen to me he did not respect me mm-hmm. and at the same time I was not necessarily being respectful to him either and it becomes toxic because there's a level of you just keep swallowing the same poison about the person and you're not looking for a solution of either you talking like, Hey, listen, I want to work with you because a manager, I don't, I no longer view my managers as above me. I really don't. I dropped it. And now people are probably like, Whoa, what, what do you mean by this? <laughs> How do you do this? They are there to basically make sure that systems and processes and things get done. Mm-hmm. My job is to complete a task. 
Well, on a hierarchical structure, it might be, it will look like, oh, this person has, you know, more value than me. That's not the truth about humans. We all have the same value, whether we're the CEO of the company or we are the person that is basically the um, turning patients and cleaning their bottoms or checking people in at the front desk. And that is so essential for leaders to know and also for the staff to know, because I think we sort of put unrealistic. I totally did this. So I'll basically say this is my story. I put, I expected these people to walk on water, like to have everything figured out and care about me and know how to handle every hard situation and to be like, you know, my best friend. And this is another human being. They have problems. They have issues too. Like I have coached, CNOs and ACNOs <laughs> who technically are above me, but by viewing them as like, hey, we are a team working together versus like, hey, you're above me. We're let's keep this hierarchical structure, it hurts that relationship because then you stop viewing this as another person. They're a manager. Mm-hmm. We need to tease two things apart here. On the mm-hmm. one hand, there is the role of effective leadership. And um, any level of where you where you position yourself within a hierarchy, leadership means that you are taking into account what happens below you in the ranks and you look after them and give them the right teaching, the right guidance, the right orders, so to speak. The leadership also refers to the people above you, that you put yourself into those positions and think, what's my role? in assisting that person to do his job right. So if you understand that and see his or her needs, what she is being held accountable for and how you fit into that, that is very much effective leadership. And if anyone wants to read something on that, Chuck Willink, uh, my hero, as far as leadership goes, Extreme Ownership is his book, or The Dichotomy of Leadership is another book of his. So brilliant reading. So if you're looking at, at these roles and how they link to each other, that's very much what you said. And, and whilst there is a rank, in his case, in the in within the SEALs, uh, within the U.S. Uh, military, uh, the same applies for any healthcare system, any uh, any big business. There are there are always hierarchies, but yeah. you need to understand what happens above you and below you. So there needs to be this transparency, etc. So that's one thing that we need to say. Yeah. So, and if I could just add on that, like yeah. this is the entire idea of managing up, where you even if you are not necessarily mm. in charge of people. You can set your leaders up for success. And when you do that, they're going to be better leaders. Absolutely. And I tell you, this has changed my life. I'm being serious. Like this has changed my whole entire work environment where I talk to my leaders in a way that it's look, it's an emotional intelligence technique, but like not viewing them as being like this. They have, they basically don't care about me. They, they're not interested in helping me. We are a team. And it has literally changed the quality of my work. It's changed my experience as work. And I've actually grown into roles because of this. So, I mean, even if you don't have anybody underneath you, by setting your leader up for success, they're going to be better to you. So just do it. <laughs> it doesn't it's not going to cost you anything. Absolutely. And when I said we need to, to tease things apart, that was one side of the story. And the good news for all of you listening and viewing, 
that's actually 90% of real life because 90% of people will actually be in their nature they will be good guys and they if they behave like idiots then it might be that there's so much under stress and so much crap is happening in their private life etc they are just human beings and they are showing not themselves in their best light but actually in a level of stress or distress uh, so that is 90% of the people yeah 10% of the people are personality disorders narcissists mm -hmm. The promoters, the kind of those people which you just know they will be extremely difficult. Now, you can't wish them away. You can't make them go away because they are often highly effective because they don't give a stuff about other people. Therefore, they become good managers and therefore they can, they can, they don't care if they have to, to, to fire a few people in order to make the organization look good. So these are the, the hardcore guys that are not there and they will never be your friends. Okay. Because they're, they're assholes. Full stop. Um, what do you do? if you work with someone like that. And it doesn't matter if he's below you, parallel to you in the same rank or above you. How do you deal with that? Well, I'll be honest, I'm still human. I wish I was walking on water, but I'm a human and I get frustrated with people, but I don't make that, I don't let that be the end of the story with it. I stop calling people difficult people and here's why, because Mem and I label them as difficult. I start acting different to interact with them. So I basically almost contort myself into how I need to interact with them. So that way I think I can, I need to interact with them. So that way we can, you know, like I won't get hurt or they won't hurt me. And the problem with that is we end up basically, because we're so contorted, we're uncomfortable. We don't know how to be ourselves, And we almost handicap ourselves be around these people. You don't want to be handicapped around another person that you don't feel safe around. You don't. You want to be someone that basically can be like, all right, I can figure this out. And another thing, there are people with personality disorders and mental illness. I have a family member with a severe mental illness and there are some challenging moments with it, but I'm very careful about making them be like just that disorder whether they're a narcissist, whether they're borderline personality, bipolar, schizophrenia, whatever it is. I don't let that be like the only thing about them because a lot of people treat them like that probably. And so they never really learn how to interact with people. And so by being like, hey, listen, I'm working with you. Like one of my, I had a, I've had patients yell at me because they get frustrated about stuff. One thing I'll say is like, I understand you're upset and I'm trying to help you. Can you please work with me? Like, I need you to hear me. I am here to help you. We are in this together and just sort of not making it me versus them and trying to turn off their own reptile brain. That's a beautiful technique. That is actually something that is incredibly disarming uh, when someone is going for a fight and yeah. you suddenly turn it this way around. So that's oh. a beautiful skill to learn for anyone who is working with difficult people. That's, yeah, like, are you happy that we call them difficult? Um, <laughs> <they're>, uh, <yeah. laughs> like in the United States right now, we have a lot of social stuff happening. There's a lot of very, I mean, there's a lot of challenges happening. I'm not gonna paint it any other way. It's all over the news. Everyone knows what's sort of happening. 
with us every year. We're like a big soap opera for the world. I feel like the United States is like the soap opera for the world. Please watch us. Tune in anytime. No, no, I, I try to switch off, but you come up again, and again, in every channel. <laughs> but when it, you watch a lot of the stuff that happens and things fall apart, it's just because people get in this little, like they get like a bee in their bonnet, if you will. And they can't apologize. They can't say I'm wrong. They basically are just like, no, you, meh, meh, meh. So I saw this thing where there's two people, this person nearly hit a person when they were turning, um, a person was a pedestrian was trying to cross the road and this person nearly hit him and the person just wanted an ap- apology and the person the man was getting all pissy and i'm like you know it just takes two seconds to be like you know what i'm really sorry this happened i'm sorry for my part in it you don't have to apologize to the person you be like i'm sorry for my part in this this is you know i apologize for that and you know then you're owning your part in it what the little miscommunication and it's you know it doesn't hurt you it doesn't make you less of a person it's on okay. the contrary, on the contrary, absolutely on the contrary, because you show, <laughs> no, you show humility, you show backbone, integrity, all yeah. those things that mean for some people, bugger all, but you actually doing that. Integrity yeah. is how you behave when no one is watching, just exactly. if you ever wondered. And that is exactly, if you know that you've cut someone off, um, or you really needed to get to work, and I, I take that smaller gap, then maybe it's okay. I go in there, I will make them well sure that I sort of hold my hand back into the, the rearview mirror and say sort of thank you or apology or something like that. Yeah. Um, that's normal. Yet, how often do I see that actually happening here in New Zealand, where we think we're all friendly? Yeah, my bottom. No, people <laughs> cut you off and that's it. I mean, people are people. We're 50% good, 50% bad. We've all cut people off in traffic. We've all flipped somebody the bird in traffic. If you haven't, I want to meet you and I want to learn how you have stopped <laughs> from being human. You are my, I need to know you. I need to understand you. But the reality is, I mean, we are 50 50. One of my things that I've really appreciated about a lot of more recent cartoon movies is there's no like super big bad villain. Usually it's basically people that are complexities and they are driven for different reasons and they think they're being right in their pursuit for doing something. And I mean, like this does tie into burnout because there's a level of we get in this like mindset that these people aren't safe at work. They're just out to hurt me. They're just out to bully me and pick on me. And there's times where they, what the person will do is actually start acting like the bully to sort of deal with it. Um, Things like confronting the person or yelling at them in the nursing station. You are a bully if you're doing that. <laughs> That's not acceptable professional workplace behavior. I don't care who you are. Becoming a bully to deal with a bully just makes you a bully. Very, very true. And I think that's the key thing, isn't it? I think the other, not the key, sorry. What you are describing are so many facets of the problem. And I think it's really important to realize that burnout is not just one thing. It's not just one reason. So your burnout might actually be uh, the end result, uh, similar to the end result of the burnout from your best friend. But your best friend has got maybe very different contributing factors to her burnout, yet you're both nurses, you're both 
female, you're both the same age, demographics is all exactly the same, yet there might be a role of sleep deprivation and the husband having an affair, plus her manager being very supportive versus you actually having all the problem at work, all at home is everything is fine, but the end result can be exactly the same, the burnout. And it's so important to tease actually apart and to, to press the to stop button and a pause button and to actually think what the hell is really contributing to how I feel. Totally. And, yeah. And, I, and go on. <laughs> no, no, you too, you too, you, you. Yeah, like I totally agree with you. This is why I sort of, as I said, I sort of, I totally am a person that goes down rabbit holes. Just like pull me back anytime I start to, please. <laughs> but um, if you think about, as an earlier, we have the governmental, we have the organizational, but finally we have the individual. And the only thing in your locus of control you have control of is yourself. Which is why when I work with my clients, they will want to be like frustrated with the manager, frustrated about processes. But the thing is, Unless, of course, they can change the processing, this is something that they have to work with. Or else, you know, like bring a solution to your manager and be like, hey, not just complain. You can't just go complain to managers. That's another reason why managers don't necessarily, you might have a problem with a manager, is you go there like, I don't, you know, like, you know, I don't like how we're always, you know, having to change fluid at the end of shift. Bring a solution. <laughs> people don't like people just coming and complaining at them. But bringing a solution forward and going back to the locus of control yourself is really all that you can change. So with my clients, we work on their own personal needs and what's creating their burnout. As you said, it's all individual. And that is really, really important by changing the way you behave, you model to others what is important. If you assure at all times that the staff under you is taking their breaks, is are looking after themselves on their basic needs, you actually foster a relationship with them that is so supportive, so so productive. It's really, really great. If you foster a an attitude in your environment where people can come up to you and speak honest about what is going on. That is so much better than them being, being who they are, letting rip. And then you think, what the hell, where did that come from? Exactly like that, that happened to, to me three months ago. One of my nurses in theater, um, she, in the middle of a case, she suddenly ripped into me. And I thought, what the hell, where is that coming from? And it had turned out that um, her mother was just admitted to a, to a residential nursing home, Alzheimer, not good, not nice story. And she just lost it there and then. But I had fostered a environment, I encourage an environment with the people around me that they can come to me and talk to me be even beforehand to actually say, look, today is not a good day. This and this has happened there. If I'm a little bit crumpy, I do apologize, kind of a thing. Yeah. And and following that incident, she, she wasn't even aware of her emotions. She wasn't even aware of her distress. So she let rip 
but because I had always fostered a good relationship, she said, oh, I, I probably came across a bit harsh. And I said, you think so? <laughs> and we laughed about it and it was okay. And then two, three days later, she came back to me in the morning and said, look, this stuff is still ongoing. I'm still not myself. Just wanted to let you know. How beautiful is that? How beautiful. They, it shows me she has got trust in me. It shows me that my leadership can't be too bad because here she is actually coming out and, and saying, hey, look, you know, let's work together. Let's go through that difficult time period. Uh, we still need to work together. We still need to look after the patient. We still need to earn money. All these kind of things. So it was beautiful. It was so beautiful. And I was actually... Uh, with hindsight, grateful that she lost it a bit because we could use that as a teaching amongst the two of us. And I just think, hey, you know, uh, let's be honest with each other and let's actually, let's work together. And it, it was beautiful. So that's how it should be in my books, at least. It mm. should be that way. Mm. And here's like, we talked about managers, but physicians mm. and nurses, mm. we work better together. Like, I mean, I'm here on your team or I mean, I'm doing a completely different skill set than what you're doing. <laughs> and, and that's I, right. But I can't work without you. You can't yeah, work without I, me. I, so, <laughs> so that's the way it should be. And, and sometimes yeah. um, people need to be reminded on that. Um, there is there are people who like to foster this them and us kind of attitude uh, um, that's amongst the managers amongst the nurses etc and i try to nip that in the butt and i try and i think the best thing you do you can do is effective communication so as you spelled it out uh you you go to these people and say well actually we, we want to work together here because this is we, we can't do yeah. it i need your help and uh uh, what you're doing is I perceive as so-and-so. Uh, if I'm right, can we change that? And if I'm wrong, did I, is that a misunderstanding? What do you mean when you behave like that? Kind of a stuff. Actually address these bloody emotions. You know, the stuff there, there in the reptilian brain that drives you to... It's not. I always tell my clients the reptilian brain is there to help you. It keeps you alive. I want my reptilian brain to be doing things like red lights in front of me hitting. I want to hit my brain quickly. I want that reptile brain. That being said, I don't want my reptile brain making decisions about my work. Mm. And that's what happens. Us versus them doesn't make your life easier at work. And if you have two choices, well, you have three choices here. You either get a new job, you change your mindset, or you just continue how you are and not change anything. No one's going to make you do that. But here's the thing, like, we make things so much harder. For 90% of the time, our mindset is, as you brought up earlier, is really what causes most of the problems. Mm -hmm. And that's wonderful. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, it sort of sucks to hear that. Like, hey, the problem 90% of the time is you, because you're in your head thinking these thoughts. It's not like someone's jumping in your head making you think that about them. Like, they probably don't think they're being an asshole. Let's just be real for a second. Mm. They probably think that, for instance, with your um, with that nurse, when she was playing into you, she probably didn't think she was being a jerk. She probably thought that, you know, like, I'm really frustrated about something. And how you were like, this is not about me. Uh, that is a mindset that I, that's something I tell myself during difficult conversations. Like, if someone gets sharp with me, and I'm like, really, and I'm just like, because, you know, I'm human. I react to things. 
my I still have a reptile brain and a mammalian brain doing their own little business trying to keep me alive. But it stops, you know, like when we basically sort of take a breath and be like, this isn't about me. Their reaction is not about me. Sort of liberating, you know? Exactly. So how you sort of brought that up. And then you guys had this deep conversation. And now I bet you money. I mean, like I don't have any money right here, but (laughs) I bet you your relationship with this person actually took on to a new level in a way. Absolutely. It was already very good, but it was just, uh, yeah, there's this this understanding and appreciation um, of kind of brothers in arms. We've gone so f- together through some shitty situation there, and it's just another n- notch in the belt kind of a thing where we look at each other and know, okay, yeah, I've got your back, and I know she has got my back. Do you feel like, because I know a lot of people are concerned that if you all have that level of a sniff like a snippety moment that they become worried that that just opens the door for that to happen again and again and again do you feel like that's true now no no Uh, it because i believe that it is a mental scar that she will not forget and i will not forget and Mm. for all the right reasons so it is something where where we can go back to and actually said okay that was quite interesting. And now some emotion that is similar creeps up again. She will think, ah, hang on. Is it, okay, maybe I need to be a bit careful here, uh, the way I speak to X, Y, and Z, because uh, same circumstances, same emotion. Last time it didn't end so well. (laughs) You think, so I mean, a lot of ways, it's sort of like you almost end up treating each other better because of being able to be like, hold on, this is not about me, but we need to talk about this and make this better. Exactly. Like, exactly. See, this is what 99, I'm being serious. I actually think it's like 99% of human interaction. Hmm. All it takes is a moment is basically not making it about you for a second and just be like, all right, hold on. Let's sort of look at this hmm. using our prefrontal cortex, you know, that thinking brain, we want that engaged right now. Because this is not about me. This is something going on for you. So true. So, so, so true. Oh, Mary, this was an absolute fantastic, fantastic talk. I love that because we are both uh, have learned the lessons the hard way. And we both work in complex systems, in complex scenarios where one day is not never the same as the other day. There's complete new challenges with every patient. And that makes it so beautiful. That is why I love my job. That is because there is never a boring moment as far as I'm concerned. So it's lovely, but it comes with a level of stress and sometimes distress that we need to manage. And this awareness that you are teaching and breaking it down into manageable pieces is such a valuable, valuable, valuable uh, way forward. So if you guys want to know more, well, as far as some of the things are concerned, My Steps to Sobriety has got a hell of a lot of action plans in there where I look at burnout and and stress and and all the kind of challenges that life throws you. And and there's a lot about the alcohol in there as well, because often enough when you're getting burned out, you, you hit the bottle, unfortunately. And we healthcare workers are typically quite a wet bunch. Um, so it is what it is. So if you need to know more about that, 
go and have a look at my book. But more importantly, if you are specifically touched about the topic of burnout, Mary, how can people learn more about you and from you? Where do they find you? All right. So the best place to find me is to go to burnoutward.com. I have um, some resources on there. One of the areas where I see a lot of people struggle is at the beginning of their shift when they're going in and afterwards finding ways to unwind. Mm. That's where we start looking for our vices to feel better, like alcohol or food or wherever you're, you might be struggling with like a little bit of um, an addiction, if you will. But feel free to check me out. And if you um, are on Facebook, I also run the Burnout Ward community. It's exclusively for nurses that are experiencing burnout or want some tools to sort of help them. Those are probably the best two places to find me. Which is brilliant. And if you think about it, that many healthcare systems are often the biggest employers uh, in, in your community or amongst the three biggest employers, there are a hell of a lot of nurses out there. And mm -hmm. there are so many nurses who feel not valued and feel burned out. End of the story. So, guys, if you're listening into that, then please, please, please uh, check Mary's workout. There is a, uh, I can virtually guarantee you that you will get some different insights and maybe something that helps you to move yourself forward and become the person that you want to be. And that is, that is an ongoing journey for all of us. But uh, sometimes we forget what is possible. You're not helpless. You're certainly not alone. And why not find a tribe of others that have got similar problems and more importantly, have learned how to overcome them. So check Mary's workout. Mary, thank you so much for coming onto my show. I truly, truly appreciated that. And it was an honor for me to interview you. Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. And I hope that this helps some of your listeners. Absolutely. Look after yourself, guys out there. Make the most out of this beautiful day. Bye. Dream.